This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel. God is a God of arrival. He is not stagnant or inactive in pursuing His creation. God can be anticipated because He's always on the move. From the very beginning, when he set the world in motion and placed man upon it, he came walking towards Adam and Eve in the garden. He says, I am coming to you. I want to fellowship with you. I want to be with you. Did you know that God desires to be with us in an active relationship with him? In today's message, Pastor Josh talks about the Lord's desire for a relationship with us. He wanted to be with us, but sin separated us from God. So he sent his son Jesus down to take our place. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn, symbolizing the division between God and humans. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice that removed the barrier between us and God. When we believe in Him, we gain a relationship with Him. Now, here's Pastor Josh in the book of Psalm chapter 10, as he continues his message, Anticipating Arrival. Here, David asked two vital questions about approaching this king of glory. First, who can ascend? The word means to move upwards or move towards the hill of the Lord. And second, who can stand in his holy place? And here he speaks about the tabernacle, which we have been studying in Hebrews, that holy place where the presence of God would be manifested. And David is asking him this question. Many people believe that Psalm 24 was written after David or when David was trying to return the Ark of the Covenant, after the Philistines had captured it, David was trying to return it after getting it back to the tabernacle, to Jerusalem. And so he creates all these man-made things. He gets this brand new card. He gets these guys. He gets this procession. And they start taking the, the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And the cart that they were putting the Ark on hits a rock and it starts to fall over and this guy by the name of Uzzah, don't ever name your kid that if you're looking for Bible names, Uzzah, he, he reaches out and he's going to save God here. And he reaches out and he touches the ark to keep it from falling. And immediately God strikes him dead. And that's not because God's mean. That's because God's holy and Uzzah was not holy. <laughs> that's that drastic perfection, that holiness that we've been talking about through Hebrews. So David perplexed, goes to the Lord, and many people believe he wrote this psalm. Who can ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? And then he answers the question, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. Notice the four categories that he mentions. Number one is outward purity, clean hands, someone who lives righteously. Number two is inward purity, it's not just that they, they do good moral things outwardly, but their heart is right. Their heart is clean. Their motives are pure. And then there's the third one is undivided loyalty, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol. They don't have any idolatrous or competing affections. God is their God, and, and, and there are no competing affections or gods in their life. And the fourth category is complete honesty, who has not sworn deceitfully 
who's been honest both inwardly and outwardly. The standards are clear, yet at the end of the day, is there anyone in here who could raise their hand and says, oh, wow, that, that perfectly describes me. I'm outwardly pure, I'm inwardly pure, I'm completely undivided, loyal to God, and I have, I have no deceit within my heart. That's what we all want. That's our pursuit. But it's not where any of us are at. And I think that this was written this way by the Holy Spirit purposefully. Notice, I love Warren Wiersbe's observation here. Here's what he said. He said, David did not have clean hands for he murdered, nor did he have a pure heart for he lusted and committed adultery. He lifted up his soul to vanity and pride when he numbered the people. Solomon could not qualify for he was an idolater. Even the great King Hezekiah fell because of pride. No, the only king who can qualify is who? Jesus Christ. He is the worthy king. Jesus is the one who fulfilled every righteous requirement, who can approach that very presence of God, which we have been talking about in Hebrews, in the heavenly places, and can stand in his holy place with a clean hands and a pure heart and never lifted his soul up to an idol, never sworn deceitfully, and he represents us before the Father. Jesus is the eternal king who descended from heaven to redeem his creation, but Jesus is also the worthy king who ascended back to heaven in the presence of God. And all who call upon his name by faith and trust in this righteous king will receive the benefits of verse five. They shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Our righteousness comes from Christ. So Christ is the eternal king. He is the worthy king. Number three, very importantly, Jesus is described as the coming king. Verse seven, lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, lift up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Selah. Say, Josh, did some scribe uh, forget that they wrote one line and so they wrote it twice? Right? It repeats itself. It's a question and an answer that the author gives twice. Notice the answer. He says, lift up your heads. That is a language that indicates a watchfulness or an expectancy. And there's a dual command here from the psalmist. Lift up, you heads, O you gates. Lift up your doors, you everlasting doors. It's mentioned twice, and I don't think that's an accident. I think that prophetically, it's mentioned twice because there are two arrivals of the Messiah, Jesus, that are to be expected. The first one happened 2,000 years ago on the 10th day of Nisan, what we call Palm Sunday, when Jesus entered into Jerusalem. That was the first arrival of the Messiah where the gates needed to be lifted up and the, the hearts and the minds of the, and the doors of people's hearts needed to be open to the Lord. Consider the multiple prophecies of Christ's return. The prophet Zechariah prophesies the Messiah's coming in two places. And I want you to notice the contrast. Number one, Zechariah 9.9, many of us are familiar with this verse. It's the Palm Sunday prophecy. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just in having salvation, 
lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of the donkey. So that's the prophecy of Palm Sunday, right? They should have known when they saw Jesus riding in on a donkey. Solomon was coronated on a donkey. It was a animal of humility. It was Jesus is showing his lowliness, his humility, his servant heartedness. He is bringing salvation, not by military force, but by the sacrifice of his own life to bring hope and salvation to the very people he came to save. Now look and contrast this with Zechariah verse chapter 14. Here he describes the coming of the Messiah in a different way. Verses three through four and verse nine. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a large valley. Half of the mountain shall move towards the north and half of it towards the south. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day, it shall be the Lord is one and his name is one. Woo! I think that's what they were hoping for. That's when we'll know. But here's what I'm getting at. Twice is the command, lift up, O you gates. Open up, you doors. Let the king of glory in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. That first command was for that first Palm Sunday, that first prophecy of Zechariah. He's coming lowly on a donkey. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the altar. Psalm 118 says. He, was, he came to be a sacrifice, to lay down his life, to bring salvation. But let's also remember that Jesus is coming again. That Jesus is coming again, not as the lamb that was slain, but as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Not as a suffering servant, but as the conquering king. Not to give his life again for many, but to rule and to reign and to bring God's perfect righteousness to this world. When we think of the scripture describing this, I am blown away by this, and I've read this verse to you guys many times because it's one of my favorites. Revelation chapter 19 describes a different returning of Christ, a different appearing of Christ. I just want to read it and let it speak for itself. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations." And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. And he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus is returning. I know it's a lot to take in, but Paul, in his address to the Athenians, put it like this in verse 30 of chapter 17 that God has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained, and he has given us assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. There is a perfect combination of Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday all in one verse, that Jesus is arriving again to the earth to judge it rightfully and righteously, 
and it was proven that God is going to do that through Christ because he rose from the dead, conquering death forever. That undeniable evidence of Christ's life, everlasting life and conquering over the grave is proof that he will one day return and judge the nations in righteousness. What a powerful psalm. And as we read these scriptures, we recognize something. God is a God of arrival. He is not stagnant or inactive in pursuing his creation. God can be anticipated because he's always on the move. From the very beginning, when he set the world in motion and placed man upon it, he came walking towards Adam and Eve in the garden. He says, I am coming to you. I want to fellowship with you. I want to be with you. And when man spoiled that perfect fellowship through rebellion and sinful disobedience, then God showed up again through another channel by calling out his own special people, Israel, a nation through Abraham, which he would reveal himself. He made an everlasting covenant with them, which he would want to pursue. When Israel was in Egyptian captivity, God seemed distant. And then he came. He came to Moses, speaking supernaturally through a bush. I could give you a whole history lesson about all the times God shows up. But here's the point. God has not stopped. He still pursues us today. After Jesus' resurrection, his disciples watched him ascend into heaven. Is that it? We thought he was dead. We all got happy because he's alive. But then he left. Let me ask you, you guys, you guys know the answer to this question. Did God stop arriving? He said, go and wait. Just go and wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. And I'm going to come to you again. I'm, God's going to arrive. And the Holy Spirit came, power, and anointed them and filled them and the world has never been the same. Maybe I would sum it up like this, that scripture promises us that God will not stop his pursuit of mankind until all created things are fully restored into what he intended them to be. Man dwelling with God in a state of perfect perfection and completion. You see, God will not stop until he's done. Well, well, Josh, it's great. You know, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. But here's the bigger question I ask myself. Am I looking forward to, with anticipation, God showing up in my life today? Do we live our lives with the belief that I serve a God who wants to do something in me and through me today. It's one thing to say, well, one day when Jesus comes back, I'm so excited about that day. You guys, Jesus is here. I can't wait to see him face to face like you. I can't wait till that day when I hear whatever it's going to sound like. I don't know if it's going to sound like a Missouri tornado warning I hope not, because that, those things creep me out. But that trumpet blast and that shout of the archangel, 
I remember when I was in Israel and I woke up one morning and there was some thing going on at the Temple Mount and I heard these shofars, you know, and it just shot tingles up my spine that one day Jesus is going to arrive again for me and he's going to call me up to be with him and I'm going to forever be with him. I cannot wait for that time. And we look up and we anticipate that day, hopefully soon when he comes yet again to bring his righteousness and justice and power and to make all things new. But I find that it's in the here and now sometimes I doubt him the most. Lord, do you see what I'm going through? Lord, do you hear my prayers? Lord, do you understand my trial? Do you understand this temptation? Do you understand this testing? God, I need you to show up right now. But Palm Sunday teaches me something very important about the way God arrives. That God will show up right on time, every time, and he won't stop showing up until everything is exactly as he intended it to be. Here's the thing. You and I need to learn not how to put our expectations on Jesus. Jesus, you need to be A, B, and C, and D for me. That's what they did. We'll accept Jesus if he meets all of our expectations, if he fits perfectly into our mold and does all the things that we expect him to do. Then Jesus will be our Messiah. Instead, we need to refocus our minds and saying, God, help me not to miss what you're doing, even if it's not what I expect. You follow me? Have you ever been in that situation where God is trying to do a work in your life and you're missing it because it's not what you want, it's not what you expected, it's not what you asked for? God, I didn't ask to go down this road. God, I didn't ask for you. Yeah, I asked for you to work in my life, but I didn't mean this way. Some other way. And God's saying, don't miss it. My way is best. If you surrender and submit to my way, if you accept me for what I want to do in your life and in this situation right now, you'll see it. You'll see my salvation. You'll see my hope. You'll see my bigger plan. He had such a bigger plan than any of them could see in the moment, and they missed it. And perhaps someone who ends up listening to this message or coming to church today doesn't know Jesus at all. And the final invitation is that today Jesus wants to arrive into your heart, into your life, as your Messiah, as your King, as your Savior. And you don't want to miss it. It could be the day that changes everything forever. Are we ready for Jesus to arrive? The exhortation, lift up your eyes, lift up your heads, Open your gates, and the King of glory, the eternal King, the worthy King, the coming King, the King of glory will enter in. Psalm 118, the psalm that the people shouted as Jesus rode in on that first Palm Sunday. Open to me the gates of righteousness, and I will go through them. I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. Jesus said, I am the door. I will praise you for you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it was marvelous in our eyes. 
This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. I pray, sin now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his mercy endures forever. They all said part of that psalm, right? Save now, Lord. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But what they didn't do is read the rest of it. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the altar. Oh, this is not saving us from the Romans. This is sacrifice. This is blood. This is blood being shed. This is the salvation of our souls. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Wow. As they reject him, as they, in one week, will say, crucify him. I think my exhortation and encouragement to you as you and I leave today would just be to walk in anticipation. Today might be a very moment, a very day that you can't afford to miss in regards to what God might want to do in your life. And if our eyes are open, our gates are open, our hearts are open, the King of glory will come. Why don't we pray? Lord, we are so grateful that you work in mysterious ways, that you are not on our timeline. But Lord, we don't want to miss something that you're doing in us and through us because we're short-sighted or consumed with our own issues or disappointed somehow that you didn't arrive quite in the manner or in the way that we expected you to. But Lord, we know and we want to be those who surrender and submit today to the fact that you, are, you alone are wise, that you know best, Lord, that you have a plan that none of us can see or understand fully, that you are working out in this world that will culminate one day in us being with you forever. Lord, we don't want to be like the virgins who let their lamps burn out because they just assumed the bridegroom isn't coming. He's been taking so long and become so concerned with so many other issues that we forget to live in light of the fact that one day you are going to come again. That you will come into that same place that you will set your foot on that Mount of Olives in power and in might. I know how the world so desperately groans and cries for your return to set all the things that sin made wrong, Lord, to set them all right. But Lord, you are working even now in the hearts of people. You are showing up. You are arriving. Lord, I pray that today would be a day of arrival for each of us in our own way, Lord, as we invite your Holy Spirit to work in, in our lives in new and fresh ways. Lord, be our King of glory as we bow our knee to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've just been listening to another edition of The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins. If this is the first time you've tuned in to this broadcast, 
we want you to know that we're a ministry based out of Grace Calvary in St. Joseph, Missouri. This radio program wouldn't be possible without our faithful listener support. We love to hear that our listeners are praying for this ministry and are grateful for those who feel led to give financially as well. Would you consider giving to this ministry? If so, simply go to theascendinglife.com, find the About tab, click on Grace Calvary, and then look for the Give link at the top of the page. If you're interested in getting to know us a little better, you'll be able to access more information about our church as well. Theascendinglife.com is where you need to go. You can watch us online via Facebook. Just search for Grace Calvary Chapel. Going back to our website, you can listen to a variety of teachings that Pastor Josh has given, as well as find a way to submit a prayer request. That's all at theascendinglife.com. We look forward to hearing from you. We trust that this message has met you right where you are and that God will use it to awaken you to the love, truth, and power of God. May you go about the rest of the day with that at the forefront of your mind. From all of us here on the production team, thank you for listening. We hope you'll come back again for another broadcast of The Ascending Life. Reaching up, we're pressing in.